please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you've gathered us here in this place to worship you. We thank you, Lord, that as your word says to us, you've called us. We're here because you call us here. We ask, Lord, that as we go through these readings, you would speak to our spirits with your Holy Spirit. That we would love you more. That we would want to serve you more. That we would be empowered to bear fruit that abides. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, we've gone directly from winter to summer, haven't we? (laughs) It's all right. And you know, what happens when summertime comes, at least for me, is that the windows go down in the car, and if it happens to work that day, the sunroof opens, and country music starts blaring. And God lover, somehow Leah, my wife, who loves classical music, also loves country music. Probably didn't guess that. I want to read to you uh, the lyrics from one of my favorite songs. I got sent home from school one day with a shiner on my eye. Fighting was against the rules and it didn't matter why. When dad got home, I told him just like I'd rehearsed, then stood there on those trembling knees and waited for the worst. And he said, let me tell you a secret, son, about a father's love. A secret that my daddy said was just between us. He said, daddies don't just love their children every now and then. It's a love without end. Amen. It's a love without end. Amen. That's from the great theologian George Strait. Um, The song was released in 1990. Some of you may know it. It's a great one. Go look it up. I promised that I wouldn't try to sing it for you. Uh, In the gospel passage today, we're still in John's gospel, and we're in the next chapter. We're in chapter 15. And you remember, if you were here with us last week, we were talking about not being left as orphans. Jesus gives that promise to his disciples. He tells them that he's not going to leave them on their own. And he promised that he wouldn't leave them. And of course, he promises that he won't leave us. Today, however, we hear something even more amazing. Today we hear about a father and a brother, a father's love, a brother's command, and fruit from that relationship. The passage uh, should blow us away. If you haven't um, opened up to it yet, open up to John chapter 15. We're going to look at uh, John chapter 15 as our principal text today, verse 9. The only way that you can read this and not have it blow you away is if you were raised in the church and if you don't really, if it's lost, it's, it's ring, I think, in your ears. Look at this, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now we all want to jump to the next phrase, abide in my love. But stop right there. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. 
Jesus says, speaking. Wow. Really? I mean, think about that for a moment. What's Jesus saying here? As God the Father loves Jesus, his perfect son, so God the Father loves the disciples. The disciples. Wow. That's quite an awesome statement. Sometimes we'll sing together the hymn, What Wondrous Love Is This, O My Soul, O My Soul. I can't think of any more wondrous love than this, to be loved by God as he loves Jesus himself. And even if we discount or take away the fact that our sinful nature, inherent in us from our birth, causing us to be disobedient and rebellious, even if we take that away, we can't fathom God's love. We can't do it by logic. It's just a fact. He, God, is infinite. He's eternal. And by nature, by human nature, you and I are finite. Even if we believe that we're going to live forever, we have a beginning. We're limited. In his book on miracles, C.S. Lewis writes, Christ did not die for men because they were intrinsically dying for, worth dying for, but because he is intrinsically love and therefore loves infinitely. Another way to say that is that God doesn't just love us every now and then. It's a love without end, amen. It's a love that's based entirely on his person, not ours. Entirely on his nature and his essence, not ours. You see, we might think of love in the terms of human relationships. What makes you love somebody? Are you inclined to love someone who is nice to you or not nice to you? Are you inclined to love that spouse that's short and cross with you? Or are you inclined to love your spouse when he or she is admiring you and encouraging you? Are you inclined to love your coworker when he or she is helping you or when he or she is getting in your way? Which way does it work with human relationships? We're inclined to love only people that love us because in our sinfulness, our love is selfish. It's selfish. We can't help it. We can work against it and in the power of the Holy Spirit, work in God's love but our love is not selfless. We love those who love us. We want to hate those who hate us. Who are you inclined to love? You see, God's love is not like that. It's not like human love. It's not conditional. It doesn't depend upon us. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, Jesus says just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So many people read this verse all wrong, and maybe you have before. They read it, keep my commandments, and I'll love you. But that's not what the verse says. God doesn't say to us that. Rather, he says, I have loved you, verse 9. And you know how I know that? Because if you look behind the English into the Greek original text here, it's the word agapasa, meaning 
from the word agape, but it means I have loved you. It's completed. It's fulfilled. It's full. It's done. You are loved, is that word in the Greek. So what Jesus is saying to his disciples here is, I have loved you. My Father has loved you, past tense. Like, it's done. Not that it's over, but it's done. What does this mean? It means that God's love is a steadfast and enduring love. It's the kind of love that Isaiah talks about. It's steadfastness in Isaiah 14 when he writes, The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so it shall be. As I have purposed, so shall it stand. That's the kind of love that God's loved you and I with. But all this scholarly talk is all to say that Jesus here has loved his disciples. And he's loved his disciples no matter what they're going to do. How do I know that? Well, in just a few chapters in John 18, what does the apostle Peter do? What's the apostle Peter do in John 18? Not a trick question. You probably know it. Shout it out. Denies Christ. And not only that, he denies Christ three times. So think about this. This is John 15. That's John 18. Does this mean that Jesus all of a sudden has stopped loving Peter? Does this mean all of a sudden that God the Father has stopped loving Peter even though he's denied Christ? No. You see, he's loved him with a complete Full love, it's based on God the Father's nature of love. Not about Peter's devotion, not about Peter's works or his performance or how many Bible studies he goes to. God's love is entirely based upon God. And there's ways that we can embrace it more or less. Oh yes, that's true. Our will doesn't control God's love. What a mercy. But our will does control where we're standing, if we're standing in it or not. Think about what you probably did this morning. You turned on the shower, and that water came out of the spigot, and it came rushing down. Now, how foolish would you have been if you turned on the shower, you know, you adjusted the knobs, you got to adjust the right temperature, you got your soap and your washcloth, and you just stood there next to it. Well, hey, that's some nice water there. Uh, Maybe I'll get clean looking at it. Hmm. That's kind of like God's love. God's love is like the water. It's turned on. It's flowing. It's going. Now, it's up to you to step into the tub. It's up to you to abide in the love or not. And so what the commandment here is, is... Not if you keep my commandments, then God will love you, but rather God has loved you, now step into it. Stand under it. Open your mouth. Take it in. Be washed in it. That's what Jesus is saying here. The word for abide here is the Greek word meno. And Aristotle uses it to talk about the fixed stars in the sky. It's in legal documents in Jesus' day also. It means to stand one's ground when you're attacked. Or to endure whatever's thrown at you. 
If you look closely here, what Jesus is commanding us to do, Jesus is commanding us to stand in it, to obey him, to remain in it. A New Testament scholar, Danker, writes, this is an inward, personal communion with Jesus Christ. That's what it means to abide in his love. You see, we're supposed to keep God's commandments all the time, perfectly. Matthew says that. But God knows that's impossible. He knows that's impossible. So rather, he sends Jesus to say, you can't do that, abide in me, because I can. And stand in my love, because I can. He commands us to meno, to abide, to reside, to tarry, to remain in place, to stand our ground, to stand in Jesus. St. Gregory the Great comments on this passage and writes, Why does Jesus speak of love as if it were a special commandment? As the many branches of the tree come from one root, so do many virtues come forth from love alone. What's St. What's Gregory saying here? That you see, apart from God, you can do nothing. In God, you can do everything. In Jesus, in that love all sorts of fruit and virtues can come forth from you that you can't do on your own because you'll have the Holy Spirit. We love God as human beings because he loves us. It's a human love. That's what John says in the epistle reading. It's the core of Christianity. It doesn't start with our love. It doesn't start with our decision. But it's his love. Look with me at the epistle reading. It was his love to be incarnated from the Virgin Mary, 1 John 4, 9. In the love of God was manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live in him. It's his, in his love and in his action to suffer and die upon the cross that were brought and made right with God. Look at 1 John 4.10, following the verse we just read. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Do you see? It's all God's initiative. It doesn't start with us, with wanting self-help. It starts with him wanting to restore us back to life. And we can choose whether to abide or not, whether to have that inward personal communion with Jesus Christ or not. We can choose to do that every day. It's not a once-off, something that you choose and then go off and do what you want. So we ask the Lord, how do we abide in you, Lord, if we want to do that, right? How, Jesus? Well, he answers that. This is back in the gospel. John 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. So how do we keep and abide? We obey Jesus. We stand in the love of Jesus. We want to do what Jesus wants us to do. Look at verses 12 and 13, again, in the gospel. This is my commandment, because you might be asking, well, what, it, what do you command, Lord? This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 
Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. So how do we obey Jesus? We stand in his love and we love each other. This is the core of our personal communion with God and the church. It's a mysterious thing, but the two are linked. To stand in the love of Christ, you have to love your brother. John goes on to talk about it. He says, anyone that says that he loves God and doesn't love his brother is a liar. That's pretty straightforward. When we obey Jesus, however, we love our brother. And we love God's commandments. In Psalm 119, 126, the psalmist writes, Therefore I love your commandments, O Lord, above gold, above fine gold. Therefore I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. The psalmist says this because he knows God. But there's more. The final point of the sermon is that such love produces fruit. And it doesn't just produce fruit that goes away. It produces what Jesus calls abiding fruit. The promise of this kind of relationship with our Father, God, and our brother, Christ, is a fullness of love and joy. Not just one that's personal between us and God, but one that's personal and close between one another. And when we're abiding with Jesus and each other, God does wondrous things. He produces marvelous fruit. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Boy, if that first statement didn't make you say, wow, this one should. Whatever you ask in my name, if you're abiding in my love, if you're abiding with one another, I will give to you. It's a promise that Jesus makes to his disciples and through them to us. And what kind of abiding fruit does God give? Again, turn to the epistle reading. 1 John chapter 4. Look at verse 18. What is this abiding fruit? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. That by itself is something that all of us could use a little of, isn't it? And God's saying, there is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. That's the promise of being united to Jesus and being united to his church, one of the fruits that we're given. He continues, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Look at verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For who does not love his brother? For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So do you see, there's a freedom, not just from fear, but a freedom from hatred in God's love. If you don't fear anything, if you love your brother, how can you hate him? How can you be bound up in that? One displaces the other. 
with all this talk of love, Jesus speaks of real tangible fruit. And John, the apostle that recorded that gospel, speaks of what it means to live like that together. The promise is that these things will be given to us from God in God's love. This commandment and these promises are instilled not just to the disciples, but to you and I, if we're willing to stand in that love, if we're willing to open ourselves up to it. We're called to understand it and to proclaim three things. As we close the sermon, I want you to remember these three things. Number one, God's love is steadfast and eternal. It's based on him. Number two, we must abide in his love through loving obedience. Number three, true love with God and a relationship with his people produces abiding fruit. You and I might die. We will die unless the Lord comes. But this fruit will endure. The fruit of the relationship, the fruit of love, the fact that the church is here now 2,000 years after the apostles are long gone. That fruit endures. And we're called to proclaim these three things, but we're also called to live them. So I want you to remember those three points, but this week I want you to ask yourself these three questions. The first one has to do with belief. Do I believe in God's love? Do I really think that God is good? Do I live? Whatever the cost to us.